The reading today is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 18 to 27. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. And when the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lynn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is holy, that it is from you. And transmitted through humans who you chose lord we pray that you'd really speak to us today through the words that john has given us and that we would really be encouraged in spite of the tough message in jesus name amen yes it is a tough message today matt got the slightly cuddlier part of john 15 um i let him you know we, we didn't sort of negotiate too hard on that but actually john 15 is my favorite chapter in the whole bible it always has been i've heard some fantastic talks on john 15 over the years but i must admit that's tended to be about uh, i am the true vine and abide in me that section that matt dealt with last week so anyway we we now move on to the second part it's not all going to be grim but it's going to be very realistic as we look at Jesus's words and the world that we live in and the world we have to cope with last week we rounded off with those wonderful words in the first part of this chapter and Jesus said you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love one another. So that's where we got to last week. Lovely words from Jesus to the disciples just when they needed them. And we can take it that what he said to the disciples was specific to their situation but it applies to his followers at that time and since so whether we call ourselves disciples or followers or believers or just christians this 
is teaching which is relevant to us. So we're all called to be united, loving and fruitful. And that's not too hard to take in and feel that's fair enough, that's straightforward. However, there's a stark contrast now in today's uh, nine, ten verses. My maths is never good. But verses 18 to 27 give us no illusions whatsoever about how easy, comfortable and popular we are going to be if we're obedient to Jesus. His blunt message to the disciples was that the world was going to hate them. They were going to face persecution. In fact, all of them, but John himself, as we understand it, uh, were martyred eventually after changing the whole known world with the power and the truth of the gospel. So it wasn't an easy ride, and it's not meant to be. Following Jesus is actually and never has been it's it's not for wimps or softies and it's not easy i think we could all say that's right it's it's not something which takes all our problems away we just sail through life all our guilt taken away and no problems it's not really like that at all but although life can be difficult and grim we know that however we find Satan's hatred of our Lord and therefore of his church and of us, Jesus has already won the ultimate victory for us. Satan is in his death throes, if you like, of that rebellion against God. But that doesn't mean we have an easy ride as a result. In these especially hard times of pandemic and brutal warfare, Jesus has chosen each one of us to bear fruit, to rely on him both in prayer and action and to love one another as part of our witness to those who do not yet know him. I'm now going to just paint a little bit of a picture about today's world. We're going to have a look at that word world because Jesus told his disciples that the world would hate them. And what does that all imply? But just let's have a look. I don't know about you, but the last two years I've found incredibly hard. There's, there's just very little good news that seems to come through on the television. There's so much bad news, sad news, heartbreaking news that, you know, you, you don't feel cheerful when you go to bed about what's going on in the world. And you really just want the Lord to step in with his love and his forgiveness and his goodness and to deal with it because it's his world which we are still in the process of ruining in so many ways. I guess it's the worst time in the world for most of us since the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was uh, 1962. That's a long, long time ago, nearly 60 years this October. I don't really remember it. I remember the assassination of Kennedy in 1963, but not that standoff between Russia and the United States 60 years ago. And we're probably all asking now, how's it all going to end and when will it all end? How much longer will the Russian people be imprisoned by the lies, the brutality and corruption of their leaders? And how much longer will Ukraine have to bear the heartache 
those horrible pictures of children suffering, even dying. It's, it's just heartbreaking. It really is. How can the church bear fruit in such tragic times coming out of, but not that fast, of a pandemic after two years of very odd existences? Well, how do we come out of it? How do we bear fruit? I honestly do not know. You don't know. I'm pretty sure the world leaders don't know. But our Lord Jesus knows. He is the Prince of Peace. He knows and he cares. And he does have that ultimate victory. So let's hold on to that. What we see may not be good and encouraging, but let's look to Jesus and we will see the beginnings of answers and the fact that he is the Prince of Peace. Let's just get into this thing about the hatred. It's a very strong word that we're up against, that Jesus faced, that his disciples faced, and that we and the church have always faced, even if we haven't quite noticed it because we've maybe not been quite so faithful uh, and prepared to be unpopular as we should have been. Anyway, at this point, this passage, they have left the upper room, the disciples with Jesus. They're walking through the Kidron Valley, through the vineyards on the hillsides. It's quite a nice scene, sounds rather good. They're going into the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course, we know what's going to come. And Jesus knew what was going to come as well. It must have been quite a shock to the disciples when Jesus came away from love one another and abide in me and all that, all those lovely words, to say this, verses 18 to 20 today. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. I'm sure there are some rather glum faces at that point, but actually this reflects what John put into his prologue for this whole gospel. The wonderful reading I try and grab for, or I used to try and grab for every um, carol service, that lovely last reading of John 1. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That word, world, 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 it didn't recognize its own Lord, its own co-creator, Jesus Christ, when he came. Right, we've had a lot about the world. We've, we've had it mentioned eight times in those few verses. Uh, five by Jesus directly as reported by John, and three by John in his prologue. So what is meant by this word, the world? Does it mean all them out there who aren't Christians? Well, it can do. Anyway, this word, world, is used 78 times in this one gospel. 
it's used 24 times in John's letters. What's it all about? Well, the Greek word he uses is quite familiar to us. Uh, the Greek word for world is cosmos, which is used for the whole universe, the whole of creation. It was used and is used for the earth, the people on earth, most people on earth, uh, people opposed to God, and for human systems antagonistic to God's purposes. I think that last one is really telling. It kind of means that we don't fit properly once we've come to know the Lord. We don't quite fit where we're actually existing and living. A little bit more on that thought. Um, in the context of organised society which is opposed to God, we have a world which has its own lowest common denominator, morals, values and standards. And of course, these vary from nation to nation, town to town, family to family, person to person. But generally, they are biased against being obedient to God. A helpful comment from a commentator, I'm only going to use one today, I think, a chap called Ray Stedman, who's an American. The world, as our Lord says, both hates and loves. It loves what conforms to it. It hates what differs from it. The world loves to destroy that which does not fit its pattern. We have all experienced this to some extent, maybe quite mildly. Some of us less mildly. This is why St. Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, Romans 12:2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Interestingly, that uh, translation has the word world in it, the pattern of this world. But actually, the Greek word used by Paul is slightly different. It's not cosmos anymore. I can't pronounce this, but it's um, A-I-O-N, ion or aeon. And that word actually means age. So what it's really saying is don't be conformed to the pattern of this age, the standards around us in our society today. In other words, the pattern of this age. If we are faithful to the gospel, that is the point coming through from Jesus's last words to his disciples, we will at times face opposition. We will face ridicule, indifference and even hatred if we conform to the pattern of the world as it is today and act as though Jesus had never come never changed our lives and never saved us from the consequences of sin and pointless living then we can all be popular and can have minimal enemies that's the promise of the world fit in and we'll like you but that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to be like him, to be obedient, to suffer whenever necessary, and to enjoy the victory that he has won, that eternal victory that he won over Satan at Calvary. We must be aware that whilst Jesus has won that victory over sin, death, the fear of death, and the devil himself, the devil hasn't quite gone yet. He is still there to try and mess us up. 
And what he really wants, and I get this really a bit from the screw tape letters, you know, how does the devil work in his subtle, crafty ways? I think he's trying to make the church full of wishy-washy compromises, respectable, popular and harmless people in the world's eyes. In other words, what the devil wants is content-free, no earthly use, no eternal use, Christians. Well, we've got the right name, but we're not really following in our Lord's footsteps. That's what the devil wants, and that's what we're up against. We need to be aware of that. Even worse than active hatred is arguably indifference, where the world doesn't need to bother about us. We're just you know, quietly ineffective. He certainly wants that, the devil. The question is, therefore, will we be faithful to our Lord as we seek to follow obediently in his footsteps, even through persecution and tough times? Right, that's all tough. I think you'd say it's got a ring of truth because it's words from Jesus. But now let's have a look at some promises which just reinforce the fact that we know which side we should be on and we can do it and we don't need to fail. In much of the world, Christians may be facing hatred at the moment, certainly tough times. This can feel personal and not just about our message, the history of the church or our faith in our Lord. But John's gospel contains three, well, it has loads of promises, actually, lovely promises, but it's got three in particular, which I think are relevant to us today. We can rely upon these in the middle of turmoil, hate and suffering. John 8, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 27, the previous chapter. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then finally, John 16, 33. Quite appallingly, I'm jumping ahead and going beyond where we are, but I think this fits. Because Jesus explains why he's been telling them these hard things before he goes to the cross. I have told you these things so that in me, you have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world wow you know that just gets the balance back to where we are and where we should be as followers of Jesus I'm now going to look at the persecuted church because in a sense that should be all the church. We know what we mean by that expression, but persecution is part of the inheritance of all the church, hatred even. So, as I've said, virtually all the disciples ended up dying having proclaimed the truth of the gospel and changed the world at that time. Similarly, St. Stephen and St. Paul, ultimately they did die for their faith after doing remarkable things and witnessing powerfully. As always, Jesus, in telling them uh, as they headed to Gethsemane uh, the truth, was preparing them for what he knew was to come. And they didn't really 
fully understand at that point. Well, what does this hatred mean? What can it be like? Just, just to really go a little bit deeper so we know what we're watching out for. Well, I looked at my dictionary, which of course is not a theological authority, but it does help us to understand the forms that this hatred of God and everything about him uh, can take, you know, what it can be like. Right, in my dictionary, it says that hatred is an intense dislike or even disgust. You know, people just can't stand uh, the object of the hatred. It means to loathe, to detest, to abhor and despise. And the world's antipathy to the truth of the gospel can be like that. Intense hostility and aversion to Christians and to the name of Jesus. From time to time, I think we will all experience some of that, hopefully not more than we can bear. Why should this be? Well, we've got the whole thing about the pattern of the world and the pattern of the age. We don't fit. Our home, our real home, is with the Lord. It's not here. This is a temporary existence. But here Jesus does explain why that should be. Verse 21. They do not know the Father. If you don't know the Father, if you haven't got any inkling of who God is, you're liable to behave in accordance with the pattern of the prevailing wisdom, the prevailing uh, way that people live. And in this, there's a sense of this is without reason. Why should people hate God? Why would you hate somebody as amazing as Jesus, the life he lived? Well, it is without reason, and there's a little echo here which Jesus has deliberately put in from two of King David's Psalms. I'll just read them out to you, the relevant verses. David said this, Psalm 35, let not those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Let not those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye, not quite sure of the context but a sort of a knowing contempt I think which King David was facing at that point and then Psalm 69 those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head many are my enemies without cause those who seek to destroy me there is no reason to all this there's no justice there's no goodness because it's not of God it's the work of sin it's the work of the devil the church is actually fighting a spiritual war we might prefer comfort but we are fighting a spiritual war it's quite clear if we look at Ephesians and other parts of the New Testament and that spiritual war is actually just as horrible as important and dangerous as the war in Ukraine as even the physical war that we can see at the moment Again, just to emphasise, the final victory is Jesus's. It doesn't look like a victory when somebody dies on a cross, but it will on Easter Day when we remember that he rose from the dead, having defeated all that is against uh, God's love. And then just coming to the end, a few more words of reassurance. Today's final two verses which refer again to the Holy Spirit, move us on from the sad reality of persecution and so on. 
Jesus, in the last two verses, reinforces to the disciples his recent promises from John 14. The disciples, too, must testify. And they did do so, didn't they, with incredible success. They really did. They changed the world. But they only do so in partnership and with success because the Holy Spirit has come, the spirit of truth. He is the one who gives power for the church to be the church it should be and for individual Christians to witness faithfully to the Lord. Ever since his coming at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, has given power to the witness of the church and he continues to do so, maybe more in Africa than Europe, but certainly he is still the spirit of truth, bringing people to knowledge of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth, yes. And here he's called the counsellor, but he is also the comforter, the helper and the strengthener. And he's with us. He is God with us, just as Jesus was. So our response to all these tough words and Jesus' teaching, his final teaching to his disciples, well, whenever we feel belittled, victimised, picked on, in any way for our faith, maybe just sometimes plainly ignored, people couldn't care tuppence that were Christians or go to St John's, we should actually respond as Jesus did to his false accusers. We should be meek, we shouldn't retaliate, and we should act as Jesus would. We can only fulfill our mission individually and together by being as Jesus was, in the world, but not of it. Witnesses alongside the Holy Spirit. It's reassuring to me, and I hope it is to you, that the spirit of truth can open human hearts to the love of God remove spiritual darkness and blindness and open minds to the truth of God's word and only he can do it we can't do it we can do it with him but only through him our role is to share what Jesus has done for us and what he is to us then we can rely on the Holy Spirit to convict people of their need to seek God's forgiveness and salvation and to live fruitful, transformed and meaningful lives for him. I'm just going to read again the three promises I read earlier, just to summarise. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then John 16, the third one. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And finally, from the Beatitudes, the eighth Beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Hatred will pass. God's love and care for us lasts forever. Amen.